Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy. Pod Sequentialism is, of course, brought to you by Meltdown Comics and Collectibles and also by Gallery 30 South in Pasadena. And uh, we'd like to give a shout out to the Soap Plant Wacko Superstore in Hollywood. Uh, Meltdown Podcasting Network has a lot of other great shows that we encourage you to listen to. And you can find those also on the Meltdown Podcast pages on the Meltdown Comics site. And we are joined today via Skype by someone I've been very excited to talk to, someone who was introduced to me by uh, Chris Milligan, who's the publisher over at Trine Day Press. Uh, Trine Day have, among other uh, publications, uh, brought to light some of the things that have been appearing in majorly promoted documentaries in um, stuff we're seeing on Netflix. And he's been publishing for, at this point, I think 10 years and getting a lot of esoteric subject matter out there. And uh, on a list of people that Chris had recommended I talk to was a guy named Jay Dyer. And um, I realized uh, shortly after he uh, recommended Jay to me that I had already been very much enjoying a show that Jay has on the Gaia Network called Decoding Hollywood in which they, uh, he and his other co-host Jay take a specific film and dive deep behind what the message on the surface of the film is to bring up and reference esoteric subjects, alchemy, and the things that um, are very very probably put into place by the filmmakers purposely and um, that are kind of a little extra treat for you to be able to pick up if you like these films. But um, what helped lead to the Decoding Hollywood show was a book that Jay had written called Esoteric Hollywood in which he outlined some of that sort of underpinning to what we see in pop culture. So uh, without further ado, welcome to the program, Jay. Thank you, Matt. I'm glad to be here. It's a pleasure. Yeah, no, like we were saying, it's, uh, it's, I always love it when we have a situation where there's somebody that uh, is recommended that it turns out that it's somebody that I really already wanted to talk to anyhow. So mm-hmm. uh, as I pointed out, I have been very much a fan of your show on Gaia and um, Decoding Hollywood has just, it's one of those shows that I don't just watch the episode once. I watch them again and again. Sometimes I watch them again and again, back to back. Sometimes I grab a block of the programming and we go through episode, you know, three or four episodes at a time. I've got my wife watching it and enjoying it. And it's hard to get her to sit down for, for television and things like that. But um, have you ever seen have you ever seen Sunset Boulevard? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. so I, I've gone insane. I'm like Norma Desmond. I just sit watching my own show <laughs> over and over and over in this darkly lit room with a projector screen. <laughs> That's amazing. No, I'm kidding. But I I, I, I kind of cringe when I watch my show sometimes just because I think I look ridiculous. But but I, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I disagree, and I think it's a really good counterpoint that you and Jay are both on the show. You know, Jay's um, an, an older gentleman, and what I thought was funny is that what I assumed would be the dynamic is that you would have a lot of the more, I would say, profound uh, commentary coming from the older guy and maybe a lot more of the pop reference coming from the younger guy. And you guys mix it up. So there's there's a lot of, of really great nuggets of wisdom that come through. I don't think that the show gets um, too esoteric in a way that many of the shows on Gaia do. You know, we had Peter Lavenda on the show a couple of times. And what I was praising Peter about was in not... Um, pandering directly to that that lowest common denominator of conspiracy yep. theorists that seem to litter a lot of the programming, and not just on Guy, and I don't want to sound like I'm picking on it because clearly it's a service I subscribe to, but um, also on the History Network and, and some of those shows as well. Yeah, it's a very difficult balance to try to, to strike, and I think we did really well with that. And, you know, we came out of the gates with The Matrix and we delved pretty deep into Plato and philosophy. 
And I think that's one of the more popular episodes. And I, th- I think it really came out well uh, because, like you said, it's not just about lowest common denominator conspiracies. It's not just about a false flag. It's not just about here's an eye in a pyramid, you know, in the background of some scene. There is some of that, but but we really run the gamut. I mean, Jay has, as you mentioned, pretty encyclopedic knowledge of film. Mm-hmm. So while he may not always bring uh, you know something allegorical or something something mythological he will definitely bring something encyclopedic that i had no idea like he, he's he's been around for so long doing this mm-hmm. uh, and i'm not knocking his age i'm complimenting <laughs> him uh, but he you know he he really does just throw out these these wild stories and tales and facts these factoids that i, I would have never you know come up with so it's a it's a good mix and then i kind of bring you know, the philosophical vantage point, um, and some of the esoteric as well, but we also tie it into a lot of real world stuff with, you know, spies and geopolitics. So it really is a, a, I think a fascinating mix of, of topics. Now, what's funny is that, um, I didn't watch the shows in order. I kind of picked, um, some of the movies that I really enjoyed and I wanted to see what you guys had to say about it. And that made me go deeper and deeper. And then finally, I decided, why don't I just watch these from the beginning in order? You know, as I say, having seen quite a quite a few of them uh, multiple times, and uh-huh. I had no idea, and and it wasn't until I saw the the Matrix episode of Decoding Hollywood that um, the Keanu Reeves character Neo, um, you know, Mister Anderson, mm-hmm. when he's brought into the investigation room, his passport expires on September eleventh, two thousand and one. And I had never seen that until you pointed it out. And I, I stopped, you know, the, um, the, the DVR. I pressed pause and I called my wife into the room. I'm like, you have to see this. And, you know, we, 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 I wound it back and I showed it to her and she was like, oh my God, you know, and I'm, I'm usually really up on like this stuff, making it out into the zeitgeist. And I could not believe that I had never heard that. And there it was. Sure enough, you, you have it paused on the film. You, you have it shown. What I love about, an aspect of decoding Hollywood is that it's a clip show, but it's a clip show the way that Siskel and Ebert at the movies was that you don't, it's not just completely powered by clips. It's really important to be able to go back away from just seeing the film and have the two of you guys talk and, and have um, a sort of direction away from what is now being discussed so that when you go back into it, the setup has given you enough to deal with. And like that, that one moment it was, was kind of like, I started recommending the show to everybody at that point. Mr. Kennedy, <laughs> I can smell your sweat. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was a wild one. And in fact, when we brought that up to the production team, everybody at the, on the set was kind of blown away. They were yeah. like, this is actually in the first matrix, the, his pet. And you have to blow it up kind of on the, like the Blu-ray where you can see exactly what the data is. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's there. It's clear as day. And this is 1998. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few films actually in the nineties that, <clears throat> that pinpoint a 2009, 11, 2001, um, enemy uh enemy of the state does with the gene hackman character so there's a lot of examples of stuff like that and a lot of people you know for for me being so immersed in the conspiracy world for so long it was kind of like second hat it's just that you get used it's like oh yeah you don't know that you didn't know that yeah (laughs) and everybody on set was just like holy crap but 
but yeah, you do see this this phenomenon, and I thought that we definitely had to cover that in the Matrix. There was actually a little bit of a controversy as to whether we would bring that up. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that we did. I'm glad it it stayed and it it didn't end up on the uh, cutting room floor. So I think that you do have to look at these things and you have to consider them, and and it does give rise to questions about the the possibility of predictive programming, the possibility of messages being inserted into film. And in fact, that was the subject of my master's thesis. So I'm not coming at this from a just a theory perspective or just, oh, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos. You know, I actually wrote about this in in an academic setting. I, I'm, I'm published on that topic, not just in the book, but also in, in academia. So this is a real, a real topic. People really do study this. And so what, what we had to do was just kind of translate the academia into uh, something that people could watch and, you know, hopefully have a positive message in the long run. And and every episode is like that. You know, there's, there's, there's something unique in every one of these films, even the films that I didn't really want to do. Like I didn't really want to do Mimsy. <laughs> that was kind, right. of, kind of a goofy one, but I didn't have, you know, the, the final say so on every single, most of the episodes I chose the content, but uh, not every single one, but, but yeah, there's always something interesting. And that's the great thing about philosophy is that you can, you can do a philosophical analysis basically of anything. Yeah. Well, there's a great, uh, you know, some of the episodes, and, and I, I, I want to point them out because I've I've watched the Eyes Wide Shut episode almost as many times, I think, as I've seen the film at this point, and that's a lot. Um, but also that it gave me a brand new appreciation for a lot of Christopher Nolan's work, that I always enjoyed mm-hmm. it, and I knew it was operating on, on several levels. But some of the the things that you call to attention in Interstellar, for instance, um, mm-hmm. really enriched my enjoyment of the film. And I think that it's one thing to have a show that that uh, points to what a possible um, uh, intention could be from from a filmmaker, and it's another thing to have a show that celebrates elements that maybe get past the layperson. And as a guy who was in, I was in film for years in film production, I've, I've had almost every job you can have in front of and behind a camera, um, but ran um, distribution channels for years as well. So I was watching, I, I watched tons of screeners, had watched, you know, acquisition screeners for years. And you get into a sort of rote where you do pick up on things that maybe the general public doesn't because you're thinking about ratings and um, is this going to be an R rating when we bring this to the MPAA? So you think about right, things of nudity right. and swears and violence. But that um, some of the other things, which would seemingly connect back to the fact that I run art galleries and that I do have an understanding of the underpinnings of paintings and um, a little bit of that, um, you know, that, that cosmic math that goes into things, that there's that I should be picking up on stuff. So when it does get past me, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and I go back and I want to watch it. And Interstellar, especially some of the things that you brought up, um, connecting not just what I think was the aim of the film in giving people a sort of general understanding of quantum physics in the way that uh, Carl Sagan's Cosmos did about cos- cosmology, that, mm-hmm. um, that it really does make it fun to go back and watch those those films again. What was your favorite episode to do? Uh, first, let me say that, yes, I, I agree about Interstellar. They're, the Christopher Nolan's films do have some psychological depth. They do delve into Jungian archetypes. And so in that regard, they, they are interesting to analyze. You know, even 
uh, Inception, you know, uh, you could probably even go back to Insomnia. Uh, I haven't covered Insomnia, but but there would probably be some interesting uh, archetypes that you could pick out of that film. Um, but I do think that, you know, so he his newer films are, are hit and miss. Uh, the first time I saw Interstellar, I really liked it because I noticed a lot of these things and I was just I happened to be at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the mood, I think where I was starting to to think about working on the book, and you know, I was I was in a hyper kind of uh, academic view, and then and then I kind of went back and watched it two or three more times for the the TV show, and it's it's cheesy, but there's some good stuff there. I, and like you said, you can actually at times go back and watch something that might maybe in, uh, the first time you watched it, it struck you as cheesy. Uh, and then you go back and you notice, wow, there was actually quite a bit that I missed there. And this is kind of a, a theory that people have about how we actually read, not just the book, but we actually read movies. You, yeah. It's almost the same process of reading. And so just as you go back and read a book again, you notice things you didn't see before. It's very similar in a film. And so that is a fascinating process. And yes, I think that you do get some neat ideas about quantum physics in Interstellar, and that was really what I focused on uh, in my essay that I wrote that that was a fairly popular essay. But I would say the, my favorite episode, uh, honestly, would either be Eyes Wide Shut or Twin Peaks. And I was worried they were going to cut the Twin Peaks episode because we actually had two two episodes cut that I thought were really awesome. We had a Rosemary's baby episode that wow. came out. Really and they felt like it was too, you know, a little too, uh, risque for the audience of Gaia, which wow. you know, that's, that's their, their prerogative. But, but man, I was really hope. And Oh, and the other one that I thought was super awesome that got cut was, uh, the Ridley Scott alien series. So we, we actually covered the entire alien spectrum from, you know, the 1977 or whatever alien all the way up to, I think Prometheus. I don't think alien covenant was out by the time that we filmed that episode, but, um, but I really thought that that was a cool episode. I thought that really came out good. Rosemary's baby would have been cool, but you know, it is what it is. So my runner up favorites, uh, are, or Twin Peaks and Eyes Wide Shut. Um, and you did a very, very long um, YouTube video uh, specifically on Eyes Wide Shut on your own channel. That um, I did, and that, that one just hit 100,000 views, which kind of blew me away. I didn't expect that to to really be as popular as it has been, you know, just in a couple months. But, but yeah, so, you know, trying to produce my own, you know, just homemade documentary-style stuff, and, uh, and and it's the same kind of idea. But, I, you know, in, in the Hollywood Decoded, situation you're kind of bound by the time constraints and stuff gets edited down so i really wanted to you know just create like an hour long uh, analysis of eyes wide shut that didn't have anything cut from it and i i'll probably go back and kind of do my own versions of you know the stuff that that got cut from the from the gaia uh, series too now how did the how did that show come about now clearly you had written the book esoteric hollywood um, did someone from Gaia Network reach out to you and say, hey, we've got this idea for this show and um, we think we'd like to pair you with this other person? Or did this become, was this a long process? Uh, it wasn't really a long process. I um, went on, uh, about three years ago, I went on Sean Stone's uh, Buzzsaw show. Right. And uh, Sean, I mean, we're, I'm not saying we're not like BFF, but I mean, you know, we got to be acquaintances and business contacts. And, um, 
that led to the book deal. And so then when I wrote, I had just been blogging basically mm-hmm. while I was doing my graduate work and kind of taking the material that I was studying in graduate uh, focus like espionage and, and symbolism and how it ties into Hollywood and just putting a lot of that material on a blog and just kind of toying around with YouTube and that kind of stuff. So it all just kind of sort of, you know, dominoes sort of fell <laughs> in a, in a row. Uh, and I met, uh, Chris through, I think Chris watched one of the, the buzzsaw episodes and he saw me and Sean talking about esoteric Hollywood. And, uh, he said, Hey, you know, do you have a, a manuscript? I didn't actually have a manuscript, but I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like I got to type this. So the weekend. I threw, I, yeah. I kind of like smushed, uh, some of the best essays together and I had to do a lot of, you know, uh, editing and whatnot. So that came out at the end of 2016, December, 2016. And then, uh, Jay Widener, who is, is known for the famous documentary room 237. He's a pretty significant section of that documentary, maybe about a third of it, fourth of it. Um, and then he's also known for his Kubert documentaries. He actually reached out to me and I, I recognized the name, but I didn't actually know he had any connection to Gaia. I wasn't really familiar with Gaia. And I thought it was just kind of like, you know, Hey, you want to do a YouTube thing together or something, but no, he's actually, you know, they flew me out there and they have this giant, you know, facility that's in Colorado. You know, yeah, two big studios. And so um, he proposed the idea. It was his idea. He's like, hey, I'm in charge of uh, content production here at Gaia. You know, I think we could really put together a killer 20, 23 episode uh, first season of a show and, 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 you know, have me and you kind of Siskel and Ebert style doing Siskel and Ebert 2.0. And that's uh, so that's how it all came about. It was, it was It was mainly Jay's suggestion because he had all the means. Uh, and then I kind of come, come, come in, you know, bringing my, my side of the story, uh, largely based on a lot of the material in the book. Wow. That's great. Well, we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors, but, uh, we're going to be back in just about 60 seconds to, uh, talk to more with, uh, Jadire about a lot of these amazing episodes and the things that lead into why they're selecting these, these great films to delve deeply into in a, in an esoteric and not so esoteric way, sometimes in a deep science way, but, uh, 60 seconds away, we'll be back with pod sequentialism and we're back. Uh, this is Matt Kennedy. I'm your host. Uh, you're of course listening to pod sequentialism on the meltdown podcasting network. Uh, and this episode as many are brought to you also by gallery 30 South in Pasadena. And, um, we want to, you know, immediately get back into this, uh, this great setup for this, this show. And so, uh, Jay, Jay Dyer, who we're speaking to right now, um, had written a book called Esoteric Hollywood and, um, Jay Widener, who had been a a very big part of the Stanley Kubrick, uh, documentary, um, was it room 237 and, um, you know, which has five amazing theories about the shining, um, all of them very different, all of them very compelling in the way that they're presented. And all of them denied by the Kubrick estate, but um, but all very fun to study because it's there are things that are very coincidental that we can we can see and we can piece together, and it's fun to study those things. But I think a lot of what you're covering in Hollywood Decoded is that the 
there's a richer life to what we're just seeing on screen that um, that there is a history of certain studies and certain practices that are being alluded to at certain times. And in some cases, there are um, opportunities to point to other conspiracy theory type stuff that that pops up. Mm -hmm. Um, Not because that it's a a theory or a conspiracy of the filmmakers, but there is a direct allusion to the fact that these things exist in the zeitgeist. And, um, you know, some of these, some films certainly wear them on their sleeves. You know, you can look at a film like The Rock where they directly address things. And um, because it's so on the nose, it's really perhaps not as much fun to cover. But then there's, you know, films that have an obvious triple, quadruple, quintuple narrative happening and um, benefit from multiple viewings because of that, but then that they're so well masked that a general audience can watch it, not think too deeply about it, and and then go and buy that Blu-ray and maybe watch it and maybe, because of your show, pick up on some of that other stuff. And uh, a couple of the films that we talked about being um, your favorites in the episodes were a couple that did not run, and now I really want to see them, the Rosemary's Baby and the Alien um, episodes, but that you were <laughs> you put so much work into Eyes Wide Shut and then into the Christopher Nolan stuff. Now, what were some of the um, episodes that perhaps Jay wanted to cover and brought to the table, and what were the ones that you felt you wanted to bring, and was there editorial from the channel itself? Yes, all, all three. Um Initially, and we actually had a, a, a two-time Emmy-winning producer, uh, Sid Goldberg, who's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was in charge of production, um, and so he had an input. Uh, we had another uh, Kate who was good at also uh, editing and input. And then I would say that the majority of the material was my decision kind of based, like we said, roughly around the book. And so like in my book, I cover uh, eyes wide shut the shining 2001 uh, for Kubrick. And of course, Jay's, you know, sort of a Kubrick expert in a way. So he was, he was totally fine with anything Kubrick. And then um, I just kind of threw out some ideas for Spielberg because we wanted to hit the big, big name directors. Right. I really wish we'd gotten into to Hitchcock. Maybe if there's a season two, we'll hit on Hitchcock. But but we got to uh, AI and, and uh, Minority Report and transhumanism. And then we did, like I said, a really good alien episode. Um, I don't I guess no one will ever see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't think we we get we didn't get to bond either. And actually, bond is a big part of my book. I think mm-hmm. it's a whole. 60 or 70 pages uh, section of my book because it's it's just fascinating with the the reality of what Ian Fleming as a master spy himself saw, you know, putting it into these fictional goofy James Bond stories. So we didn't actually cover any of that. Uh, Those were some of the things that I suggested. Um, Fleming wrote a great tr- a couple of travelogue books too in the in the I have early sixties. You know, I've never read those, but I yeah, they're pretty fascinating. I, you you sort of get an idea that a lot of what he was writing about was this kind of fantasy idea of what he had hoped had being a spy was like, and because um, he was predominantly an analyst, but that um, he did have to go and visit different. Um, shall we say, off-campus offices that the British Secret Service had in different places. And so he talks about, hey, here's where you go. Here's here's the type of cocktail you get here. And it's it's like a layperson's guide to a spy's world that maybe never existed. Yeah, it's a lay guide to being... (laughs) 
<laughs> but it's so the much every fun man's James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So that that would be a great kind of uh, lead into being able to talk about his characters. But I think that also in your book you talk about the modern Bond films, and right. quite a few of them don't really go directly back into what Fleming wrote, but have been addressed sure. by um, more recent writers who love the work clearly but um, wanted to bring something I think maybe even more substantive to to the um, to the franchise so that would be fascinating yeah and I think that even mainstream outlets like the Guardian recognized that inspector you had a very clear almost obvious reference to kind of Snowden style uh, leaks about GCHQ and mm-hmm. the Nine Eyes spying system mm-hmm. that really represents, you know, the NSA and, and, the G- and GCHQ, which is the British version of the NSA. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't think that. Yeah, I, I think that actually, when you watch something like Spectre, you're you're really seeing proof of the thing that that I contend and that I write about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so obvious uh, that 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 the plot of the film is actually mirroring real world events with Snowden and, and so forth. So, um, but I did want to say that, that I was, I was thinking through the content, you know, actually most of the episodes that, that I suggested Jay and I are, are so, uh, on the same page mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the time we do have a little bit of contention and, and they did say actually that if there's a season two, that w- they would like to see more disagreement. Yeah. They want to play that out. <laughs> which That's could be fun, fun to watch. But, but yeah. we tend to, we tend to, yeah, we tend to usually agree on things. So, Pretty much every movie I suggested, Jay agreed with. Um, and then I think that Gaia later came along and they suggested six extra episodes because we actually we filmed 17 and then they wanted six more that they could sprinkle in that were that were not so uh, esoteric. <laughs> in other words, they felt like the Twin Peaks was a little too much. The Chinatown, the Chinatown almost got cut. It was a little too much. Wow. Um, so they wanted the they suggested uh star trek mm-hmm. um that next generation episode which i don't i don't mind doing a star trek i kind of wish we'd done like the whole the g- whole gamut of star trek but it was kind of focused on one episode yeah or um, you are they, been starting with like some of the original series which has so much great esoteric content in it i was gonna say yeah the originals w- would be great and you, you could always talk about the i think we actually did talk about the tie-ins too the Rand Corporation and how the Rand Corporation was actually consulting on yep. Star Trek and so yep. forth. Um, but, but yeah, so that was, that was the con that was their suggestions. And then actually the, um, the P the produ- both the producer and somebody, f- I can't remember if it was from Miramax or I, I don't remember who, but there was somebody who was tweeting me and was like, yeah, Oh, uh, you know, we made Mimsy and we watched your episode and we thought it was great. So <laughs> Uh, well, that's kind of surprised me because I would I would have thought that uh, you know you never know when when your stuff's going to be considered too conspiratorial and like you know but yeah. I would imagine you know quite a few directors and producers of these various episodes have you know have watched some of these so yeah and I imagine that there's got to be a, a certain amount of of flattery to being selected and in some cases you know someone's saying thank god someone picked up on that you know it's like you you spend a lot of time crafting a movie oftentimes you want to get stuff past the producers you know i'd love to see you guys tackle revolver which is you know a a completely kabbalistic film and i mean that might be too long of an episode (laughs) because almost every single scene was composed specifically around the kabbalah and it you know it wasn't a very successful film but i could see that 
be, if you were to tackle this, that it gets a new life among people who would come at it because they like it, the other the other things that you've tackled. And I would assume that if yeah, you that's get... a great point. I mean, th- that's part of the difficulty in the selection process is that some sometimes you want to do a film that's really full of symbolism. I mean, there, like there's a lot of Darren Aronofsky films that you could yeah. really pick apart, but then some of the Darren Aronofsky films aren't that well known. Right. Um, and, or they didn't necessarily perform that well at the box office, which I don't think that that should dominate your decision process. But the problem is that you also have to be conscious of like, if you choose a film that nobody's watched, yeah, you know what I mean? Or, or that's, that's very obscure. It's going to get a very obscure response. It's going right. to get a very, so, so even the twin peaks, this kind of blew me away. Like I thought the twin peaks was, was just going to be mind blowing. It was going to be the bomb. I'm a huge fan of, of David Lynch and the series. I think maybe even we did another David Lynch. I think we did Mulholland Drive, and it got cut too. That was one of the other ones. That oh, that's that needs to come out. Like the Mulholland and Drive. See, that's what I think. The and most argued the about like, film, you know, of my yeah, lifetime. Like the, the 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 Gaia audience, I don't think resonated with Twin Peaks. So, wow. so the Twin Peaks episode, which I think is is my favorite. That and as I said, I don't think it's had that that large of a response from the guy. I mean, it had all the episodes have like 95, you know, 93, 94% thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think the numbers of, uh, of people who were interested in decoding twin peaks from the Gaia audience were that, were that big, which is weird because like, you know, on my YouTube channel, some of the highest views I have are, are eyes wide shut and twin peaks. So right. it's kind of weird. Well, I, you, I guess you can. Oh, well, I guess the Gaia owns the the episodes as they were shot, so you wouldn't be able to actually put them on your YouTube channel. You'd have to do your own kind of version of it. Correct. Yeah, they they own or I don't remember. I, it's, I can't remember if it's Jay that owns it or Gaia that owns it, but mm-hmm. but yeah, something like that. But they could still surface for for season two, and certainly if um you know if, if yeah you maybe maybe some, to... maybe some mole inside Gaia could leak these really cool episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not condoning that. I'm just, I'm joking. <laughs> right, right. Now, the, um, for people who aren't familiar, and um, I've only really discussed Gaia a couple times on the show, uh, Gaia is a subscription service that you can add onto um, your Roku device or other um, cable streaming devices. And it's, I would say that it's broken up predominantly into two categories, um, yoga and um, conspiracy. And mm-hmm. the, I think that the shows that succeed the best on the latter, I think that there's some great yoga programming. I know quite a few people who, who um, subscribe specifically for the yoga programming. Um, they have been getting the, the rights to, to showing some esoteric and spiritual films. Um, it's been right. a direct outlet for premieres of lower budget, very um, spiritually uh, motivated kind of new age type films. And then occasionally other things. And... When they started doing the original programming, the first shows that I think most people would have been aware of would be like the um, Secret Space Program shows because of the connection right. to Ancient Aliens. And that's the show that I generally point to as being gone way off the deep end and that mm-hmm. um, there seems to be absolutely no vetting towards what could be the truth and what couldn't be. Um, that if you have any kind of understanding of human psychology, that there's a lot of gives and ticks. Um, you know, from the the primary guest that um, he's just enjoying a rich fantasy life, and yeah. the, the host is just kind of like trying to egg it on to get more and more ridiculous. But then you've also got Sean's show, you know, that um, 
Buzzsaw right. is kind of exactly what you'd want from Sean Stone. You want a, a show that addresses conspiracy theory stuff. And and Sean, it's a very well set, it's a, a very well designed set. Um, but Sean does get also very, very esoteric on occasion. Um, but he sort of does tend to be the anchor of, of what could be a little too much versus what is just the right amount. And so when your show started and I started getting it recommended in the um, – on the the menu page because of other things I'd watched, um, mm-hmm. I was like, "How how come I haven't heard of this yet?" And I was like, "Oh, it's a fairly new show," and I went in and started watching it. And I'm like, "Well, this is sort of like this would be exactly the center. Like this is the the new middle for Gaia. Like what is the exact middle road between um, fact you know fact based uh, instructional programming and yeah. um, something that addresses people who really really enjoy." that conspiratorial aspect of the rest of the programming on Gaia. And you've got, because you've got two hosts and they have a great rapport and they both have a very different um, sort of performance sensibility that there's something there for, I think, everybody to enjoy. There's a good counterpoint. It's it's great to hear that you guys have so much agreement and it, there's a, a, a great sense of camaraderie that comes off in the show. And the show has an incredibly high production value. When you say right. that it's sort of like, um, you know, a Siskel and Ebert, I mean, it has a production value of a network television show and there's not much else like that on Gaia a lot of it is basically you know kind of talking head um programming I mean there's even shows with um you know the coast to coast host has a show but it's really just coast to coast in front of an audience and um you know that there's not a lot of dropped in clips it's really just a couple of people people talking in front of an audience and then a, a question and answer thing. So people could comparatively say that's more like, uh, you know, local access television. But um, I certainly hope that they, they renew your show for a second season because I really want to see the episodes you've talked about that we haven't seen. But I'd also like yeah. to hear about, you know, what um, what drew you to this? Like, what what's your history in, in fascination with film and with esotericism and, and what led you to even conceiving of your blog which led to the book which led to the show uh well basically i just grew up in a a family that was a fan of the arts so my mom was always uh, a big fan of literature and she was a librarian for a while and she was an editor for a big company so i was always surrounded by books i grew up a bibliophile and then uh, I, I always wanted to just really do theater and comedy. That was kind of all I had in mind when I was growing up in high school. And I'd written some some stand-up routines and was doing amateur night when I was 17 or 18 pretty regularly. And then I felt like I, I wanted more out of life than just, you know, trying to be an actor or something like that. So I, I took a philosophical turn in life and I I went to college and studied philosophy as an undergrad and history. Uh, and then I decided I wanted to continue that and went into graduate studies uh, in the subjects of, as I said, history, philosophy, literature. And then I kind of, because I was simultaneously on the side hobby project interested in conspiracy, uh, I, I wanted a way to tie in all of these seemingly disparate disciplines into to one focus of study. Uh, and then what you find is that espionage or intelligence studies or spy fiction is actually a great way to do that because oftentimes it's based in reality. And of course, many, so many spy films actually are based in reality. So 
when I was doing my graduate work, that's what I decided I would focus on. And you have a little more leeway when you're doing doing grad work that you can kind of pick the subjects that you want to really delve deep into. Right. And so that's how it all came about. And simultaneously, I've always just loved movies. I've been a big movie buff all my life. And I remember a lot of movies sticking out to me as I was growing up as things that I didn't really understand. And like the first time I saw Lost Highway, I thought, well, there's got to be something going on here. I like other David Lynch movies, but yeah. this one, I just have no idea what's going on in this. Very, very um, similar sensibility. I was I was a film critic here in, in Los Angeles on, uh, on uh, KLSX and oh, reviewed cool. that film uh, when it was coming out. And I'm like, I'm a huge David Lynch fan. I can't make heads mm-hmm. and tails of this, so it's hard for right. me to recommend it. But that said, I'm going to go see it again next week. So take from that what you will, <laughs> you know, when I was talking to my audience. Yeah, because we, yeah. we had to walk that line of like, you know, I liked less commercial stuff, but I knew that the audience was a more general audience, and so I had to kind of preface it. But that's a right. really that year was an incredible year because Starship Troopers was that year too. And yeah, there's Paul so much had stuff had some, in Starship yeah. Troopers. Yeah, well, it's a great satire of the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And then when you when you read Heinlein and you realize that, you know, he's talking about a lot of these these real world ideas in mm-hmm. his science fiction, you you start to realize again there's all these tie-ins and all these parallels. And uh, you know, back in my twenties, I didn't really think that there was that much of a connection. And then when you really get into it in the college scene and you're studying this stuff you know in depth and reading tons of books on it mm-hmm. you you really are just blown away you can't believe how for example how much influence the cia has had in hollywood you yeah. can't believe how much reality is in in a fiction movie that seems ridiculous mm-hmm. uh for example in the new book i'm writing the sequel to esoteric hollywood right now and i'm actually picking out some really wacky preposterous stuff to focus in on that you wouldn't expect just because it has something like weather control geoengineering that's a real thing yeah right uh and it's in some of these the most ridiculous movies like the the 1998 avengers with ray fine and uma thurman and sean connery yeah so you've got you've got mk ultra and and geoengineering literally referenced in this, this most ridiculous top Razzie winning film. Yeah, yeah. Terrible so, movie. You know, sometimes you have to even, I think, look at the ridiculous stuff. You know, you can look at Josie and the Pussycats. You have this... Oh, Josie and the Pussycats has some amazing great criticism about media. It does, it does. And, and, and you wouldn't think it on the surface. Uh, and then you watch the film and you're actually, oh, actually the military-industrial complex has like this huge invested interest in steering pop culture yeah you know what i mean <laughs> that's the point of that movie and who would have who would have thought this uh, you know some kind of goofy girl comedy from like 2000 would, would have that in there but but yeah so there's all, all these all these nuggets like this that you can that you can dig up there's um uh, what's that um remember the episode <sighs> of alf uh, which caused a, a massive lawsuit that the alf cartoon oh, uh, not not the live action show but the saturday morning cartoon okay. And um, a woman, like a soccer mom, was taping the show on her VCR for her kids who had soccer practice on Saturdays because they like to watch ALF. And so she liked to edit out the commercials. And I don't think she necessarily had like a flying erase head VCR. I think it was an unsophisticated VCR setup. So Mm -hmm. she actually was winding back from going too far in a commercial because she was on a phone call to be able to stop it at the perfect point and found that there was a three-frame insertion of an American flag in the middle of the animated transitions on ALF. 
and wow. it led to a massive um it was there was an investigation but there was a massive class action suit against NBC television um on behalf of um you know this this woman saying well this is a, a type of programming for our children um this was obviously intentional this was not something that was animated it's a photograph of a waving flag that is inserted for three fl- frames in a broadcast um uh, program mm-hmm. and this was i remember reading about this in TV guide you know wow. um back in the i would it had to have been the late 80s it was when that show was still on and you know TV guide was kind of a great place to be able to dissect stuff you had the uh-huh. cheers and jeers section that was that was getting hip in the in the 80s and right. you had these great little capsule descriptions of shows so you could use that as a basis of planning out your viewing and i was like i was a kid who didn't get much sleep and so i'd be staying up all hours of the day and kind of planning out <laughs> what i was going to tape and what i was going to watch but like right. that was the first time i'd ever heard of anything like that and that led me to read you know the the book um a couple of the books about advertising um, yeah. not just books written by like, you know, David from BBDO, but, um, also, um, the psychology books that were written about programming, you know, the, the famous one with the, the photograph of the, the glass of, uh, a cocktail glass with sex written in the ice. And, yeah. and that kind of was a springboard for me being interested in this. So it's great to, to kind of hear how people come to these things and you're doing a really good job. I can't wait for your next book. I certainly hope that you get a second season and um yeah. and and by all means what where can people get a hold of you um yeah if if there's not a second season uh, of Gaia I, I feel confident that there will probably be other types of projects that will come along that will be similar so mm-hmm. um if anybody's interested in what I talk about uh you can go to jaysanalysis.com all my stuff is linked there I have a, a growing YouTube channel um you can just Google my name and it comes up Jay Dyer. Uh, and then, you know, all the socials I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm on, uh, Twitter and all that Instagram. So any of those means you, you can follow my work and I do put out daily content. Um, there's a, a wide, uh, variety of, so, I mean, I, sometimes I'll, I'll talk about philosophy for an hour, hardcore. Sometimes I'll talk about history sometimes it's movie analysis. So it's, it's kind of all, all over the place. Um, and there's not really any plan day to day as to what it's going to be. It just, just is what it is. But, um, I did want to mention too, that was a great point you made. Uh, I didn't know that about ALF and, and I've been studying this stuff for a long time, at least 10 years at Mm -hmm. a serious level. And you all, you're constantly hearing new stuff like that. Like, yeah, I was just, uh, I heard an author, the other day talking about Roman holiday, the Audrey Hepburn movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, she mentions the European union in that movie prior to people knowing about the coming EU. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So, and there's all kinds of neat stuff like that, that, that I'm I'm like, I'm constantly learning, figuring out new ones. You know what I mean? Like, how is this being mentioned in this movie? You know, Wow. so many years before it was, it was, uh, common knowledge, uh, you know, that you got just a great example would be running man. Uh, you know, Arnold gets on the internet, which is in the movie, it's the info net. Yeah. <laughs> and he orders his plane ticket, uh, in, in 1987. Now, if you, you know, as I've pointed out many times, if you worked at the military industrial complex or your dad was some high level military guy, you might've known about the internet, but most people in 1987 had no idea what the internet was, but in the fictional world of running man, it, it's presented as a daily, you know, everybody's house is connected to the internet. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, we certainly we had some of the college B2B boards back in the early 80s um, in high schools and in junior high schools, as was the case in, in one of the programs I was in in Massachusetts, Project Summit. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, that most people had no idea. And when we were talking about, you know, to other kids, one day a week, we would take this class where a certain group of us were sequestered from the rest of the school and sometimes moved to mm-hmm. different schools. And they would give us these these very strange, I mean, it sounds like the parallax view, you know, it's like these, these really strange, um, kind of void comp tests and problem solving things. And they would, they would, dude, I went through the same thing in California in San Diego. They had uh, a program Wow, that was like that. And it's, it's like, (laughs) you think about it years later, it's like, was I programmed? You know, is the phone going to ring and I'll be like, I must kill the queen, (laughs) the naked gun. Right. Well, awesome, Jay. Thanks for coming on and doing this. And um, I'm absolutely going to be an advocate for bringing the show back. Um, I'm a big fan of what you do. I'm really psyched that uh, Chris Milligan at Trying Day uh, was able to put us together and recommend that I reach out. And, um, you know, if anybody who hasn't checked out uh, Hollywood Decoded on Gaia, um, it's it, to me, it would be a worthwhile reason by itself to subscribe to the channel. And if you you're somebody who likes to you know, if you're the type of person that subscribes to HBO while Game of Thrones is on and then you, you unsubscribe, I would say subscribe, watch all Hollywood Decoded, and then you can cancel your subscription. You can get it back when they bring it back for another season. But there's going to be other stuff that you may also find enjoyable on the show, and certainly I've, I've, I've been hanging in there. But um, I think the show lends yeah. itself to multiple viewings. Thank you. I mean, uh, you know, what I do is separate from Gaia. Gaia is really just a, a platform of distribution like, comparable to netflix so right uh you know the 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 work that i do really has no no direct connection to gaia um so and i'm not i'm not trying to diss gaia or or say anything negative i'm just just stating that uh i get a lot of questions about that they're like do you work for gaia and i said no i I, I do my own thing it's just a guy who has a show and they bought it exactly yeah exactly yeah well, awesome, man. This has been a great episode, and um, we, of course, encourage everybody to tune into other episodes of Pod Sequentialism. This will be episode, I believe, 106 or 107. We'll see where it winds up in the uh, in the sequence. But uh, again, I thank my guests. I encourage everybody to seek more. And um, if this has sounded like something you you really want to explore, get a hold of Jay Dyer's other projects online and follow can, those. Can I make one last point? Oh yeah, please do. One thing I do offer at, at the website is uh, signed copies of the book, and that's just because um, you know Amazon kind of does undercut authors a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want a signed copy, uh, which quite a, I, I mail out quite a few of those every week, uh, just go to Jay's analysis, and you'll, and you'll see the tabs there for uh, ordering a signed copy through PayPal. That's perfect, and we always encourage people to seek out the creators that they like individually. And um, you know, if you can reward people directly, you absolutely should. There are certain occasions where you, where authors do want to steer certain traffic through um, specific avenues, including Amazon. But um, in a case where a book has been out for a while, and um, and you have a situation where there are, you know, it's it's not the the best financial situation or situational split between publishing and author. We always encourage you to get from the author, or at least uh, listen to how the author wants you to buy that project. So hey, thanks again, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you.